Minasan, konnichiwa, and welcome to the Board Game Dojo. My name is Eric. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. Whether it is your first time listening, you listen to every episode or somewhere in between, we sincerely, sincerely thank you for spending some of your time today with us. A very special thank you to everybody who sent us a picture of your Spotify wrapped with us on it. It was a truly humbling experience to see that we are such a part of your year. And I don't really know how to take it. This happened not just once, but like a couple times where you would send me a picture of your Spotify wrapped and I text back like, thank you so much. That means so much to us. And seriously, it means so much to us. And then it'd be a follow up text of like, well, yeah, I don't really listen to podcasts on Spotify other than yours or something like, well, yeah, this is my personal account. I usually listen to podcasts on my business account at work and be like, okay, you know what? I needed that ego check, but all the same. Thank you so much much but seriously if like i appreciate it even if we're not on your spotify wrapped i really appreciate the fact that you are listening to us today so today we are talking about actually a spin-off of the video that was posted on our youtube yesterday titled top 10 games to bring to the holidays 2023 and if you haven't watched that video yet hey you should definitely go watch it i think it's a very good video and actually we've been posting videos daily on our youtube so if you're not already subscribed over there now is a great chance to do that but we noticed that while putting together that list and filming that there were some games on there that were really swings for the fences games like harvest that have that take that mechanism that for some families are going to work really really well and some families are going to want to stay very very clear away from it so we thought you know what would be a good idea is if we do a podcast episode of games that are safer options games that we feel really confident that you can bring with you to the holidays and know that when you pull it out everybody is going to have at least a decent time if not a great time because it is nice to have a game that can absolutely end in a laugh fest but sometimes you really do just need a couple games in your bag that you bring that you just know are going to be a solid time no matter what and no matter who is playing it so these are our top five crowd pleaser games one brief housekeeping note before we get in there that we are still doing those giveaways that you can enter by commenting liking following us everywhere leaving us a five-star review on your podcast app with a comment things like that but we have had a couple people where we've tried reaching out in order to say, hey, you have won this giveaway and you haven't checked your messages. So please, if you are entering into that stuff, if you have commented, you've liked things, just check your inbox on Instagram and Twitter and things like that because a couple of you haven't really read those messages. And so after about a week and a half or two weeks, we might need to move on to the next person. And I don't want you to have won something and then you actually don't get to claim it. So please check your inboxes. All right, so now to the list for today. And we did rank these. So five is the one that, I mean, we're still confident in all these games, but five is the one that we think might be the most group dependent or we're the least confident on this list. And one is the most confident. So with housekeeping and the explanation out of the way, let's get into the list. Our number five game is Deception Murder in Hong Kong, a social deduction game. Now, I know a lot of you might be saying, wait, 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 social deduction? Isn't that one of the most group-dependent, divisive genres out there? And yes, you're right, but let me explain the game first, and then I will explain why we think this one is so good and we're so confident recommending it for the holidays. So Deception Murder in Hong Kong is a social deduction game in which you are all playing as either cops or the murdering team. 
The game begins with each player being dealt their roll cards, and then they each will have two rows of cards in front of them, one that has the possible murder weapon and one that has evidence. You will have one player playing as the crime scene investigator, and they will basically be the game master for the game. Everybody will close their eyes except for the game master, and the murderer will then point to one murder weapon in front of them and one piece of evidence in front of them, and that'll be the correct answer for the game. But depending on how many people you have playing, you might have additional roles like accomplices or witnesses. And then everybody will open their eyes. Then the crime scene investigator will one at a time draw cards and put them out on the table. And these might be different things that might help the cops figure out the correct answer, like location of the crime and motive. Each of these cards will have different possible answers that the crime scene investigator can choose. And based on not only what they choose, but what they don't choose, everybody else in the group will get to discuss whose cards matches that hint. So if the crime scene investigator, for example, chooses kitchen, you might point to the person that has the kitchen knife in front of them and say, okay, I think they chose the kitchen there. But you might also see that another location could have been the doctor's office. And so you'll point to the person that has the surgical scalpel and say, okay, it's probably not that one because if it was that murder weapon, they would have chosen the doctor's office because that's very clearly there. You'll keep going during the round until the crime scene investigator is done giving hints, and then each person will individually and uninterruptedly get to give a possible solution. During this time, anybody can turn in their badge like, I know the answer, and they will get to guess the murder weapon and the evidence. They have to get both right, and the crime scene investigator can either say yes or no. They can't be like, mm, one of those was right and one of those was wrong. Nope, only yes or no. If the answer is yes, okay, the cops win the game. But if the answer is no, then that cop is eliminated from guessing, but they can still play the game and help discuss and figure out what was going on. Another thing to mention is that there are a couple of rounds and everybody needs to guess once. But not only that, but if the cops actually win the game, depending on who is actually in the game, the murdering team might have a chance. Because if the witness is in the game then the murdering team gets to guess who the witness was. If they guess it correctly, then they actually win. This to me is reminiscent of the kind of old mafia movies where before the trial date, they are trying to silence the witness kind of beforehand. And I think that that's what they're going for here. So that's basically how to play Deception, Murder in Hong Kong. There's a few little things here and there, but that's the general gist of it. And so now let's get into why we think this social deduction game works. And it's mostly because we've had the most luck with this one in a general sense, but also with people who don't generally like social deduction games, this one just gives so many different opportunities to kind of do stuff differently than other social deduction games that they didn't like. So for example, I feel like in every group that's maybe five or bigger, you always have one person in the group who doesn't like to lie. I don't like social deduction games because I don't like to lie. I'm a very bad liar, things like that. There's always one person, right? And they are, and it's just really easy. They are going to be the crime scene investigator. They will be the game master. And also, unlike other games, the game master is a very easy role in this game. They just have to remember what the murder weapon and the evidence is, and then they draw cards off a pile and do the best they can with it. That's it. 
So it's not something like with many other games where the game master has to be somebody who has played the game multiple times and knows the ins and outs of the game. Not at all. Anybody can do it. But the other thing is, is that even if somebody is kind of like, mm, I generally don't like lying that much, but I want to give it a shot today, you're not really lying so much as you're diverting the attention away from you if you're the murderer, or you might even have somebody helping you out with it if you have like the accomplice in the game. And so really, it's just kind of something where it's not like, okay, let's give the kitchen example earlier where I said, okay, the crime scene investigator denotes that the location of the crime was in the kitchen. And yes, you're right that the kitchen knife is in front of me. That seems pretty incriminating. But the person over there has food poisoning or a bottle of poison in front of them. Doesn't that make just as much sense as a kitchen knife? Because it could be either one. And that was clearly the only thing that would have food poisoning out of all of those locations on the card. And that's very easy. And especially if you have an accomplice that could say, oh yeah, that actually really makes sense. I didn't even see that one. Okay, so we have multiple possibilities of what this could be. It's very easy to do that. We also think that the theme of this just works really well because I think many people have seen a Law & Order, a CSI, some kind of crime show out there, right? And it's so easy to start making stories up of what happened during this thing that it gives this social deduction game much more than other games like The Resistance or Werewolf where you're just kind of doing something and you're not really sure like what the story is behind anything you're doing. This one just kind of has that flavor to it of, okay, this, you know, you're going to have different cards down that say is motive, right? And so it could be like, okay, well, they were trying to rob a bank and it was a robbery gone wrong. And so they had to dispose of the person that betrayed them and things like that, because you're trying to connect the dots and all these different things that might not make sense together without a story to actually make it all happen. So we always ask the CSI person after it was done, you know, what was the story? How did you kind of, what did you think happened here? And it'd be like, okay, well, the person pointed to a baseball and a needle. And so I was thinking, okay, maybe this was like a baseball player who was found to use steroids. And so somebody killed them by putting poison in their steroid needle and be like, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. That's why the murder location was like the locker room. This makes a lot of sense, okay. And so it just kind of happens that way. And so that's why we feel that this social deduction game, more than any other social deduction game, will be fun for pretty much everyone. Everybody will have at least a decent time with it, which is pretty unlike we can say with other social deduction games. So our number five, Deception Murder in Hong Kong. That is designed by Toby Ho, art by Marcin Adamski, Ben Kerr, Tommy Ng, and Ari Wong and published by a variety of publishers, I have the one by Gray Fox Games. Our number four game is Awkward Guests. Awkward Guests is a very easy to do sales pitch for the family. Awkward Guests is a modernized, better version of Clue or Cluedo, depending on where you are. And that generally makes people at least somewhat interested because if people like Clue, then they go, oh, cool, it's a modernized version of it? That sounds great. If people don't like Clue, then they go, oh, good, okay, it's a better version because I don't like Clue. All right, I'm interested in this. So really, Awkward Guests is a game in which you're kind of doing something very similar to Clue. There has been a murder at this place. I think it's of Mr. Walton. And you'll need to figure out how they did it, who did it, was there accomplice or accomplices, things like that. Now, 
The reason that this is an improved version of Clue is because of two really main things, the deduction part of it, but also the fact that you're kind of working together and kind of not. And let me explain that latter part first, because the way you actually gain clues in this game is through information exchange. So what you will do is on your turn, you will be able to ask about the location or the person. And you get kind of two things you can ask about. You can ask about one of each, like one location, one person, two people, two locations, whatever. And you will then be offered by other players things that are related to the person or location that you asked about, and they will give you a value of card. Now, these different values denote how useful this information is, with the higher value cards being the cards in which you're going to be able to make more deductions and glean more information from, and the ones are going to be something that are very kind of vague about the information. They're going to offer you information about that, and you can accept the information, but you need to give them equal or greater value back. So the game actually encourages you to share valuable information with each other because you're going to get valuable information back. And it is because of these information that you're able to make the deductions that make this game very good. So the deductions you make are very logical and make sense practically. So you can make deductions based on who went through what room, for example, because I don't want to give like all of the different deductions you can make, but this is one of the most prominent ones. So if the person went through the billiard room, that makes the pool cue a possible murder weapon. But if they didn't ever go through the kitchen, then that means the kitchen knife is probably not the murder weapon because how would they have gotten the kitchen knife in the first place? So there are these deductions like this that you'll be making that are kind of not there. They're actually, they're definitely not there in Clue, but they make this game all the more interesting. So we think that those two things in combination makes this a much better improved version of Clue. And so far, the people that we've played it with have agreed with us. It is one of those things where if you guess and you guess wrong, you're eliminated. So it keeps people wanting to play the game until they're so confident. And it's such a good tension that builds up because as more people gain more information, you're kind of getting it in the back of your head of, okay, how confident do I feel in guessing right now? Because I think that there's got to be at least one other person at this table that is somewhat close to getting the answer as well. So when do I want to take a gamble and guess it? It's a game tension that is great here because you never quite know. In Clue, you can kind of get a feeling when nearing the end of the game because there's been so many cards passed around or certain people are suddenly no longer asking about certain people. But in this game, there's so many deductions that you can make through just a little bit of information that it really is all about your skill of deduction, that you might be two steps ahead even though you have seen less cards than somebody else. And with over 200 different variations of possible combinations of murder weapons and scenarios and things like that, there is a lot of game in this box. But because of all those variations, that's also one of the reasons why it's actually only number four. Because one of the things that kind of, they make us confident to play the game, but recommending it all the time is a little bit harder than some of the other games on this list is because setup can take a very long time because you are going to need to go to the rulebook or go to the app and figure out which cards from the box that you need. And so it can take a little while. 
The other reason is because some of the other games on our list have a higher player count, which if you're going to the holiday, you do tend to have. And this one only plays a maximum of five and is really best at four. And so for certain families, this is actually going to work, but automatically, I think for some families, they're going to go up. Oh, we can only play with up to five. This just isn't going to work for us. And so we put it at number four, even though it is a fantastic game. And that is Awkward Guests, our number four. It's designed by Ron Gonzalo Garcia. The art is by Samuel Gonzalo Garcia and Laura Medina Solera. And it is published by Megacorpin Games. Our number three game is one of the things that I need to disclose right away that we got as a review copy. But honestly, when I got it, I kind of just thought it was a joke of a game. I didn't really think it made much sense. I didn't think it was going to be a very fun game at all, but it ended up being one of our biggest surprises of the year and something we really enjoyed. Our number three game is Rubber Paper Scissors. Now, one of the reasons that rubber paper scissors works so well is because a majority of people in your family probably already know two thirds of this game because this game is tic-tac-toe mixed with rock, paper, scissors, and then just a little bit of set collection. So let me just tell you how to play this game because it's gonna be very, very quick. You're gonna set up the board, which is a tic-tac-toe marker with two chips on each window. There are nine windows because there's nine squares in a tic-tac-toe board. Then for each square in the window, you're gonna play rock, paper, scissors. The winning player will choose either one of the two tokens in the window or to put their player chip there. The losing player will take one of the remaining two actions and the winner will take the last action that is remaining. You'll do this for each of the nine windows and then you'll score your points. Points are scored based on if you got tic-tac-toe with your personal player color. There'll be points based on any kind of sets that you collected. And you also need to be aware because there might be, because you take some chips out at the beginning, there might be three crowns on the board. If somebody got three crowns, the game is immediately over. And there you go, most points win. That is how to play the game. So there are multiple reasons why this game works really well. One, the rules teach is very, very easy. The setup is very, very quick. I mean, you're talking like maybe a 30 seconds to a minute setup. You're talking about maybe a two minute game-ish and less than a minute teach. So basically you could get this up and running from absolutely not knowing how to play the game to getting a full game played in about five minutes. And so what that means is a, you can basically teach this to anybody, and B, you can play this over and over and over again. And that's a very important point because this game only plays two players. So you might be like, why am I bringing a two-player game to a family gathering? Well, in our kind of headspace of what we were thinking about when putting it on this list is, this game is great for tournaments. You can set this up, explain it to somebody. Like I said, you can go from zero to being finished with the game in five minutes. So you could have somebody come over, learn the game, play the game, and then move on to the next round, right? While people are mingling, munching on a veggie dip, I'm a celery, carrot, cucumber in my veggie dip kind of person. But it's really just this kind of casual game setting. It's not as formal as the other games on this list. You're not having usually people like sit around the table and have this kind of game in which everybody's kind of engaged for like an hour or two hours. You're just having these mini sessions with one other person. And sometimes it's actually just really nice to have that kind of away time from everybody else. But even then, because it's so quick, we also have times where people are just watching the game play and it's rock, paper, scissors. So everybody can just kind of follow along with what's going on. So for its quickness, its simplicity, the fact that it's more fun than it has any right to be and that it can provide entertainment for a range of ages, we put rubber, paper, scissors as our number three game.
and that's Rubber, Paper, Scissors, designed by Leon Liu and Anthony Perrone, art by one Momoko, and published by Wonderful World Board Games. Our number two is actually a bit of a cheat, but the genre just includes such a variety of player count options and a variety of themes and mechanisms that we just needed to include it mostly broadly, and that is push your luck games. Now at the lower player counts, we do recommend spots, can't stop, and gang of dice. Can't stop is a classic push your luck game in which you'll be climbing up different sections of the mountain that denote different combinations of die rolls. The more possible or the more probable the die roll combination, the higher that section of the mountain. So the seven is the highest mountain, the six and the eights are the second highest, and so on. Based on the combination of dice that you roll, you can climb up a different section of the mountain. But after every die roll, you have a choice. Do you stop and save your progress or do you keep going? You'll want to do this, and it's a difficult decision, because if you continue to go on and you roll a combination that you cannot climb, then you bust and you lose all the progress from that turn. The first person to climb three of the sections wins. Spots, on the other hand, is a game about collecting dogs. Each dog will have different dice that they need you to roll in order to complete them. And these are really, really cute because the dogs are Dalmatians, so it just kind of looks like the dice are a part of them. So on your turn, you are going to choose an action. And these actions might be something like collecting more dogs because you have to complete six dogs to win or rolling dice. If you roll dice and it, it comes up one of the dice that you need to put on one of your dog cards, then great, you get to put it on your dog card. But if it's not something that has an open spot on one of your dog cards, you have to bury it. If you bury dice that equal seven or greater, then you bust and lose any dice that are a part of dogs that are not yet complete. Finally, Gang of Dice is a game in which each round has a different condition that you don't want to meet. This might be something like a sum of greater than 12 or rolling three odd dice. You can roll as many dice as you want because the goal is to roll the greatest value possible without meeting that condition. Each round, whoever accomplishes getting the greatest value without meeting the condition wins everybody else's dice that they rolled that round. So you need to take chances, make mistakes, and sometimes, hopefully, win a bunch of dice because the dice are points in this game. Now, these games kind of accomplish different things. For one thing, Gang of Dice is probably the least available of the three the publisher does a great job of getting this internationally, but it is a Korean publisher, so if your FLGS is out of stock from it, it might be something that you have to import, whereas Spots and Can't Stop are pretty much available at a lot of FLGSs. But at the same time, I think Spots is probably the most complicated because there are the most strategies that you can do in this. The basic mode is definitely the best to start off with with families because the actions that you can take are very simple, but it can get complicated. So I would play that with family members who already have played games, even if it's something like Clue or Scrabble, they need to at least be able to internalize some of the rules of what's going on in order to get to spots, but it's nothing overbearing. But saying that, I think Can't Stop is probably the simplest of the three, but probably the least amount of fun, in my opinion, while all three are still pretty fun. We also do know that a lot of people recommend getting Quacks of Quedlinburg for a bigger board game experience, and that is more of a bag builder where you're buying different kinds of 
potions or no you're buying different kinds of ingredients to make a potion to get the most points but you can bust if you get kind of these bad ingredients and pull them out of your bag so you have to know when to stop we just didn't put it on this list because we generally just find it okay but a lot of other people are very divisive on it either saying it's a fantastic game that they love and they play over and over and over again but a lot of people saying oh i really 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 don't like this so we're just not confident recommending it here but if you need something of a greater player value, something like seven, then we recommend the classic Ink and Gold. Ink and Gold is also known as Diamant. You might find it in different places. But Ink and Gold is a classic push-your-luck game that has you kind of playing as Indiana Jones-ish kind of thing where you're going into a cave and you need to decide when to keep going into the cave to get treasure or when to leave. So each round, one card will be drawn from the deck, and it'll either be a gem card, an artifact, or a different kind of danger. If it's a gem card, all the players that are still in will divide them equally amongst themselves. If it's an artifact, well, I'll actually explain that in a bit. And if it's a danger, well, oh no. Each time that a card is drawn and you're kind of safe, then you can decide whether to keep going or to just go home and keep everything that you've gotten so far. If you're the only person who decides to go home, you also take any artifacts that you got along the way. Now, you probably want to stay in though, right? Because if more people go home, that means that less people are splitting the loot, which means that you get a higher percentage of it, but you have to watch out for the dangers. Although there are different kinds of dangers, if two of the same kind of danger are pulled, then you are knocked out and you lose everything you gained that round. So it really is a great little simple push your luck thing. Keep going and push your luck and try to get more gems or save your progress, go home, but probably go home with a little bit less. Thanks to the fact that this game is mostly simultaneous actions with everybody needing to decide either to go home or keep going, and then you're just splitting up the gems and everybody can just kind of grab their own gems along the way, it works really well with the higher player counts. So it's still very snappy because not everybody is taking like their own individual turn and then it's the next person and then it's the next person. Nah, everybody can just kind of do everything simultaneously. And because it really boils down to the very essence of a pusher luck game either go or stay then it works really really well for a range of ages and that is kind of our number two the genre of pusher luck game And finally, our number one. And guess what? We're not actually doing a single game here. But again, we're kind of doing a type of game. And that is word games. Word games, for me, just work the best. And we are the most confident in recommending to bring a word game. And there are a few, of course, that we recommend the most. So we have two cooperative suggestions and one competitive suggestion. So let's go with the cooperative ones first. The first one to talk about is So Clover. In So Clover, everybody will draw four cards and put them on these little slots in their board. These slots are arranged in a way that has two words on each side of your board being next to each other. You need to write on the dry erase kind of side of the board a hint that connects those two words. Once you're done with all four sides of your board, you'll then take the cards out and then draw a fifth card and shuffle them up. It is the job of everybody else at the table to take a look at those cards that you shuffled up, take a look at the hints that are written on the board, and figure out where the cards went. If you do it 
awesome, you get a bunch of points. But if you don't, uh, you don't get any points. You'll do this for each person. And let me tell you, you think that this game is going to be easy and you think that your hints are so good, but then you will listen to the other people figure out things that you would have never thought of. How, how did you connect those two things? I would have never thought of that. The hints are so obvious, you think, but it is a really great time to get into the minds of everybody else at the table and kind of be like, okay, maybe this is the connection that I would make, but I don't think they even know what that is. So I'm not going to go with that connection. It's a really great game. And there's a reason that it's gotten so popular and kind of has already climbed up to, I think, the number one spot in the party game ranking, even though it just came out a couple of years ago. The other cooperative recommendation we have is Hard to Get. No, no, no. That's, that's the name of the game, Hard to Get. And this is kind of like a, another version of Codenames in a way. I'm sorry if everybody is describing it that way, but that's kind of the closest uh, heuristic that I have to it. So you will have a grid on the table like Codenames that includes 16 words. And you will have one person be kind of the game master of the round, and they will know which of those cards on the table is the secret word. Now, unlike Codenames, where you just have to kind of think of a hint all by yourself, the Game Master will draw a card from the deck that will have two options for hints they can give. And then they will give that hint and show the card to the other players. They then need to remove any cards from that grid that they think is definitely not going to be the secret word. They have to remove a minimum of one card each round. But they really should remove more. Because you only have a few rounds to do this, and then you have to have only one card remaining, and that one card remaining needs to be the secret word. Again, this game provides a lot of discussion between players, and because everybody's working together and there's this kind of open dialogue, and the game master can't really speak to what they mean by the hint, then the game master is kind of playing their own game where they're like, oh, this was the best of two really bad options, and everybody else is kind of going, okay, seriously, what kind of hint is that? Um, okay, do you have any idea what that could possibly mean? Like, where are we going from this? And so you're both playing this kind of different side of the game that is really fun. There are very few games that I can say that I enjoy playing as either role. A lot of the time it's like the game master is doing their thing and they're kind of completely withdrawn, like they can do their thing and then they can kind of zone out for five minutes. Whereas this one, they're sitting there and they're going, okay, please, 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 please. Please, uh, please don't remove that card. Okay, they were they were close to removing that card, so I need to give a hint in this next round that definitely makes them be able to remove that card because that is definitely not the secret word. Or if they were close to removing the secret word, then you need to play a hint in the next round that makes it very clear that they should not remove that card. Whereas everybody else is playing this game of just being like, what should we do? How many cards should we remove? Should we remove one this round? Should we try to remove three this round? What is a good option to do? And so it's a great game that kind of provides this really good discussion point. And you can play it over the course of a couple of rounds, or you can play a couple of games of this. They don't really take very long to give different people the different opportunities to play the different roles. And finally, let's go to the competitive recommendation, and that is Decrypto, a game that is really hard to explain, but really easy to play. So both teams will have their own screen, and in their screen, they will have four words in each slot, and each word is denoted by a number. So you'll have four windows with four different words, and they will be labeled one, two, 
three, and four. Each round, a different person on each team will draw a card, and it says a sequence of numbers. So it might be four, three, two. And that person needs to give their teammates hints that are words to that word in those numbers so that their teammates can guess that sequence. I say that, and I specify that, because I did have uh, one game in which the first round somebody tried to give like um, four, uh, let's see, uh, cuatro. And it's like, no, 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 you're not giving hints about the number. You're giving hints about the words in the number. Anyway, the hang up is your team is actually not the one that guesses your hints first. The other team is. They will try to intercept it. So, for example, if your number four word is baseball and you keep giving hints like bat, home run, stolen base, then the other team is quickly going to figure out that that number is going to be something related to baseball, and they are easily going to be able to intercept it. And you definitely don't want them to do that because if they intercept it twice, they win. So you need to be kind of vague with your clues, but not so vague that your teammates also cannot guess it because if your teammates are wrong twice, then you lose the game. Again, like I said, it's a little bit harder to explain than actually play. And so what we usually do is we usually do a practice round of it. And then people go, oh, okay, now I understand. Okay, let's reset and redeal the cards. And then we'll start from scratch. But once you do get it, it's a game that people continually want to play. They want to play another game of it. They want to switch teammates and play another game of it. Or they actually just want to keep a team, like my wife and I do this, right? Sumachan and I do this all the time where it's like, we are undefeated at this game. We are going to beat anybody who comes and tries to beat us. So you'll have grandpa and grandma come up on the other side of the table and be like, no, this is ours. And be like, no, it's not. And then you'll have, okay, well, we lost. Okay, let's try ganging up on them. Let's play as a four-player team because you don't have to have the same number of players on each team. So you could have two versus four, or you could have four on four, two versus two, three on seven, whatever you get the point of it. But it's really nice because it's a way in which everybody in the family can get along. You're kind of like one team is working together really seamlessly, but you're also listening to the other side of the table and trying to figure out what they could possibly mean. Okay, what TV show was that? I wasn't even alive when that TV show was. Uh, can somebody tell me about what this TV show was? What is MASH? So between hard to get, so Clover and Decrypto, we are really confident, the most confident in telling you that this holiday season, one of the best bets you can make in bringing games to your family are word games. Well, thank you so much for listening today. That is going to be our top five best bets, biggest crowd pleasers to bring to the holiday season. Just to recap, our number five was Deception, Murder in Hong Kong. Our number four was Awkward Guests. Our number three game is Rubber, Paper, Scissors. Our number two game is the push your luck genre. We specifically recommend spots, gang of dice, or can't stop at lower player counts, and ink and gold at higher player counts. And our number one are word games. And it's depending if you want a cooperative game, then we recommend so clover or hard to get. But if you want a competitive experience, you can get to crypto. You can find the Board Game Geek listing for each of these games to get more information in the show description, as well as links to our YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram, remembering that each follow and like and comment on each of those platforms is another entry into our giveaways. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Arigatou gozaimashita. Until next time, jane. Ja